Jesus began to weep. Amen. I would like to go ahead and pre-forgive all the Chapel Hill basketball fans who are not off during my sermon. <laughs> Trust me, we've done enough praying. The rainy season never began the year I spent in Honduras. And on the farm where I was living, the main field was planted enthusiastically in anticipation of that rain. And it was green for months, then slowly dried out after too many cloudless skies. For a farmer, blue must be the coolest color. The sun, a pitiless disk, rising in an arc before sinking over the hill, sinking sometimes to the sound of a sigh. And that sigh was a sigh of Don Balbino, the head farm instructor at the orphanage. He was an unassuming man who tended to blend into the, into the scenery. And sometimes at dusk, we'd sit together and share stories, laugh at each other because of the natural problems with language barriers. And one evening, I commented on the drought. We both looked over the withering fields, and he nodded hopefully. The rains will come. They always have. The whole school watched as the corn slowly failed. Rows upon rows stood like brown sentinels, moving only ever so slightly when a red, dusty breeze would rattle their leaves. The lake near the farm slowly disappeared. And there were rumors of famine that went around our tiny community. The showers were rationed, adding to the overall unpleasantness of teaching 87 teenage boys. The rains will come, Balbino would say from time to time. They always have. So here's a pop quiz. Uh, no cheating, Baptists. Um, who knows the shortest verse in the Bible? See, the Baptists can't help themselves. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is Jesus wept. It's a simple sentence. But according to Luke Timothy Johnson, it's one that is frequently misinterpreted. He argues that many read the short verse and come to the conclusion that Jesus cried because his friend died. Others view this as a gospel writer trying to humanize Jesus. And this interpretation is found in our own book of common prayer, that Jesus wept at Lazarus' grave because he was his friend. However, Dr. Johnson argues that the real reason Jesus weeps is because he realizes that some of his closest followers don't believe or don't understand the resurrection. He writes, those tears are tears of deep frustration. And thinking about this, I had the sneaking suspicion that I also don't really understand totally the resurrection. 
You see, I realized something, that Episcopalians were pretty good at things. We're pretty good at Lent. You know, wear brown, give up chocolate. We like living in the wilderness and understand what walking through that season means. We're also really good at Holy Week because we have all the liturgies with all the right words to say and all the right stories picked out. And even some of the more fashionable of us have already picked out their Easter hats. But I had to ponder when I heard these stories about dry bones coming to life or Lazarus. Am I misinterpreting the resurrection? Do I not know what it really means? Am I just reading these stories to make me feel better at night when thinking about the inevitability of my own death? Or perhaps I believe in this to have less anxiety because I believe this is not it for my soul. Or do we sometimes distance ourselves from the resurrection by thinking about it metaphorically? Talking about things like the resurrection of Cubs baseball or resurrection of a friend who had been long lost to addiction coming back to a sober life. And in misinterpreting the resurrection, do I too frustrate Jesus? The rain came early in the morning, five months into the drought. It was a soft and gentle misting, and it simply served to tamp down the dust. And it stopped after an hour or so, and we all agreed it wasn't enough. A cistern was still dry. The lake was now an empty socket set in a brown wasteland. And then the sun came out again. And in the afternoon, all evidence of the rain had disappeared. And everyone was disappointed. Early the next morning, I rose went over to go and help milk the cows. And finishing my chores, I looked over and saw Don Balbino. And he seemed excited. And he called me over. Look, he said. And he pointed to the faint green of tiny shoots bullying their way upwards through the loam. Life was just waiting for a little water. I know how things feel right now for some of us in our country. How's your soul holding up? Because in my own family, social media has become unsocial media. And I know I preach about this a lot, but I believe the church is one of the only places that can bring people together across wide ideologies. And being down in Raleigh a few weeks back, I can report our state is facing a severe drought in concession and cooperation. And from the gallery, watching the legislative sessions, even the body language seemed hopeless. There were so many arms crossed, so many frowning faces, 
So many shaking heads and voices raised. And I began to get a sense that we may have forgotten a little bit who we were created to be. Seem to have forgotten our national story because no mythology can account for everyone's understanding of the world, everyone's experience. I feel like we've also forgotten our need for a common identity. And I'm not naive because I admit we face some big divides. But also observe that the modernist tendency to make our own personal experience, our epistemology, our experience the way that we know things, can only lead to a culture where compromise always seems like a betrayal. And given who I am, I'm acutely aware of how much privilege always follows me, how much privilege walks in the room with me. But I'm also aware that the world will always be baffling if we don't hear each other's stories, if we don't learn of each other's struggles. Because I do think that most people want to do the right thing. But we need to ask, how do we recognize the dignity and worth of all people? What does that look like? And it's frustrating. But in my own frustration, I was given a gift at the Thursday Lent series when Reverend Guy Sales asked us to consider looking at life through our baptismal imagination. Our baptismal imagination. How much would it change our culture if each day we read through the vows we made during baptism as an affirmation of our true identity? How much would the world be transformed if we set about first honoring the dignity of all people? And what if during Easter, after the resurrection, we connected it to baptism? and therefore practiced resurrection. Because in that baptismal liturgy, we affirm that in some way we are buried with Christ, so some part of our souls is already primed for resurrection. Life, it seems, has just been waiting for a little water. If we but trust the Christ in each other, I assure you, the rains will come. They always do. Amen.